0: Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another fun, filled, and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom.
2: Hey, this is Ben Tom. How are you, man?
0: I am fantastic, Ben. I couldn't be better. I'm super excited. I had a great day. It's beautiful weather outside. And we have a special guest on tonight. I couldn't ask for a better combination.
2: I'm not used to this like perky, happy so can are you a pod person?
0: Like, <laughs> my person. Where, where's no, the real Tom? I found this weird bag of powdered sugar downstairs. <laughs> and ever since then I've been really perky. So oh, well, I think mm-hmm. I think she was using it to make cookies or something downstairs. I don't know what's going on. It's working was for told, you. Twist It was all twisted up in this little blast plastic bag, but I found it and it's amazing. So
2: oh Tom. <laughs> wow, I don't even know how to segue from that. But I am happy with we have our guest on with us tonight, uh, Tom. I will say, you know, we did our live show last time. I was on Facebook Live. I heard a lot of good feedback about that. It was just kind of about us shooting the shit about COVID and what we've been through and where we're going. And you know, as we talked about, it's kind of like round eight of the twelve round fight. We're still in the middle of it, but you know, hopefully, we're we're gonna start seeing the light and. With that being said, we wanted to bring Christine back on, and Christine used to do a podcast a couple of years ago called Antidotes, Stories in Medicine, which is still a great show. So, you know, if you've Pretty never listened old, to it, you yeah. should. But <laughs> we wanted to bring her on because she's got some unique experience as far as with the pandemic as well, and so we wanted to, you know, bring her on. So, Christine, welcome back to the show.
1: Hi, thank you. It's so weird to be podcasting again. <laughs> I, it's been ages
0: it's like riding a bike so yeah we were talking earlier i was like i didn't realize it's been that long first of all it still feels weird for someone to say 2018 and me go oh yeah we were doing a podcast back then like it's still <laughs> yeah. like, oh that that's weird and then for you to say that's the last time i was on the show i'm like that's not possible like it feels like it was like a couple of weeks ago
1: i know i still feel like i'm on like just a slight break for my podcast as opposed to like it just hasn't been updated at all <laughs> since, like, 2019. And I'm like, I'm going to get back to it. But, you know, life, a <laughs> pandemic happened, so maybe this will be my inspiration. But at least I get to air some grievances about a little pandemic with you guys.
0: Oh, and I can't wait. If one thing <laughs> I'm looking forward to is airing some grievances. The airing of so, grievances yes. is a festivus mm. of, of yes. uh, August. <laughs> I got a real problem with you people. <laughs>
1: Go. I'll bring the poll. Wait, no, that's probably not appropriate.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sure we're going to say a lot of other things that aren't appropriate on this show tonight. So you just you just go ahead and bring the Festivus poll with you.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's all good. So you know, back on for me, Thomas was. Uh, it's been a busy few weeks um, in the office. You know, of course, we're seeing COVID numbers rising, as I'm sure you guys are well aware as well. Granted, we're not seeing them directly in the office. We're doing telehealth with them and getting them set up for testing, but we are handling symptoms and stuff afterwards. And then, you know, it's August, so we're rolling back around into getting back into school and all the well child exams and getting caught up on vaccinations and all that good stuff. So it has been busy as shit in the office lately.
0: Yeah, the annual, oh, I forgot to get a physical for my school child error has started to swing in. So it'll only get a little worse for a little while, but that's okay. You know, they got to get seen too. So yeah, same thing. Just really busy and just trying to make it all work.
1: And you guys are in Midwest-ish.
0: I'm in Ohio. so and I'm in Kansas, so yeah.
1: I'm in D.C., and so usually we kind of, back in the before times it really didn't make too much of a difference when we talked about locations but i don't really know how covid is in ohio but i know in the midwest it's like it's definitely creeping up there with the vaccine hesitant yeah which is a very different than like my demographic of patients cuz i have a lot of like elderly in dc that were like horribly struck by covid so they're you know yelling at their family members get vaccinated
0: yeah it's just a very diverse demographic here And as Ben recently found out, literally 20 miles can bring you from Appalachia to a metropolitan area of over a million people, literally a 20 mile radius. So it is an odd area that I live in, because like I said, you can in the middle of nowhere or you can be in the middle of a downtown. It tends to go the more populated areas tend to do much better with vaccination and vaccination education in the rural areas uh, for reasons that i still have not fully been able to grasp are hesitant and actually it was the live show where my viewpoint actually that night started to change because we started talking about information and the amount of dosages that have been administered etc and finally i was like i'm over it before i was trying to be very nice and Not that I'm not being nice now, but it was very like, okay, we got to educate everybody. We got to do this. And then after reading through the numbers, I'm done with the bullshit. All right. Three point five billion with a fucking B doses have been given around the world. That's a lot Mm -hmm. of damn doses. All right. If there was a huge cliffhanger of a problem, I guarantee you we would have found it by now. The information's in. It's safe. I'm done with the well. I tried to be as fair as possible with people. I'd be like, you know, there isn't longitudinal studies. You know, I tried to say all this stuff so we could get the information, we could have a dialogue. But now I'm like, nah. Yeah, you (laughs) know, especially
1: because I'm doing two very divergent jobs right now, and one of them, probably the one that takes the most amount of time and is the most amount of work, is primarily Medicare, Medicaid, people over the age of 55 in very much lower socioeconomic areas of the D.C. area, and 95% of my population is Black. So initially, you know, in April, when people weren't all vaccinated, most of them were, you know, vaccinated because they made the age criteria, but some of them were like, well, I don't know yet. You know, having the conversation like, all right, well, I, I can't get it fully because I'm a white chick and like, I know that there's no way I could ever understand your experience. I I am aware of this mistrust in the government and this, all this, this history behind it. And I recognize this, this is the data and this is how you can validate what I say, because I do think you should get your own research and, and let's have a conversation about this and what your fears are. So that I can then point you in directions to validate what I've said or hear it from other people. And, I'm also not a religious person, but I've talked to a lot of patients that like, hey, the church community is having a vaccine drive and the churches in this area had done like so much work to get their congregation and just the community vaccinated. And so now when we have patients that are saying things like, well, you know, we don't have as much of the science deniers, but sometimes a patient's family member will visit and then the family will be like, oh, you just exposed my 80-something-year-old medically fragile grandmama to COVID and you traveled up here from Florida and they call, like, the aunts call them on the phone and FaceTime them. And I'm like, there's no excuse. And they're like, Why well, wasn't that close. I just hugged her. That's pretty fucking that's, close.
0: Yeah, that's and, danger close. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's airborne. So a hug is like within six feet and it's airborne and like come on man like now there's no excuse and you know some people said some things like you know what i don't want the johnson johnson vaccine i didn't like how they handled the baby powder thing with asbestos And i was like yeah that's a really good reason to not want to support johnson johnson like yeah i was pretty pissed about that too but (laughs) are you okay with the other vaccines yeah sure all right cool like go yeah Moderna. Didn't give us asbestos, but like, (laughs) I was much more open to having these conversations and investigating why someone was hesitant. Now the reasons are dwindling for those that have a a very rational hesitancy. And I am finding that I I do not have the, I don't have the patience for irrational anymore. I'm burnt out on that.
2: (laughs) I have seen in this area some paradigm shift toward getting vaccines within- The last two weeks, I probably had four to five patients in the office that were clearly against the vaccine previously sit down with me and say, okay, shoot me straight with the vaccine. Should I get this? Should I not? What are your thoughts on it? And leaving there going, okay, yeah, I'm going to get my vaccine. I was also impressed that our CEO of our hospital gave a update to our county board as far as how COVID is doing in this area. And he blatantly said, I'm not going to be well liked for this. You know, I'm very strongly Republican and I'm telling you that you need to get vaccinated. You need to listen to president Biden. You need to do this stuff so that we can get back to normal. I don't know that our hospital staff is going to be able to survive another wave of this pandemic.
1: Yeah.
0: Now I wouldn't be I guess clear about this. If a patient has an answer, I'm not like you're stupid. Get a vaccine. Okay. (laughs) I know I kind of came off like that. I will answer any question. I will have a conversation, but when people are flat out and, and again, I think my area I've lived in Ben's area. So I know the population overall and it's, it's pretty homogenous. You're not running into a really diverse crowd, like the same guys you meet in one area, you're going to meet in another area of, of his area. So, here, I can actually see a clear divide with I know which population when they come in or what their address is. I can kind of tell what the where this conversation is going to go. And that's yeah. sad. It, it, it is. But at this point, I would never refuse or and I talk about the fact I talked to a patient just two or three days ago about like, hey, so if you have questions here, let's let's talk about it. What I mean is. For the people that are flat out, like, nope, you can't make me nope, I'm not gonna trust this. Nope. And that's when the hammer just drops. Or like, okay, well, I'm fucking done talking to you about this then.
1: I think what I meant is more that like I'm done playing Miss Nice and P. Yeah. As exactly. far as like yeah. a very compassionate, like, well, we all have our individual choices. And, Mm-mm. you know, trying I'm keeping my a little bit more composed in my professional demeanor answers of well i really recommend that you consider to you know continue to think about it and discuss it with your family as opposed to well you are going to be at an increased risk of death and this yeah. variant is much more contagious and you are going to be the one that spreads it to other people and risk creating new variants i'm not lying And I'm not trying to fear monger. I am trying to be very explicit in the facts because that's all I can. And where previously I wouldn't be so, I feel like I'm being almost cold hearted, but I think you need to have kind of the cold water thrown on you at some points to say, look, if you die, I told you so. And I'm not going to stop helping you, but Hey, you and I have a relationship and This is a bit of a come to Jesus moment. This is not a game. And, you know, I had a patient, too, who was very vaccine hesitant. And we had a conversation and she did end up getting vaccinated. And then she was having some side effects afterwards. And then she goes, well, you know, after all, you convinced me to get this. But now I'm having some side effects. And I really I don't think they were all related to the vaccine. She has a lot of comorbidities. And and she's like, I don't know that the vaccine was worth it. And I go, you know why the vaccine was worth it? Because you're able to complain about those side effects. And I treated thousands of COVID patients last year. And the majority of them who have your health history can't complain because they're dead. And then she goes, well, now I feel really small. I'm saying, you know, I wasn't trying to make you feel small. I'm just being a lot more blunt with the way I talk about these kinds of things. Because I don't want someone going, well, I had all these side effects. I really am thinking, no, no, no. We're stopping that conversation right here. You need to see a little bit of what I've seen because it's hell on earth. My husband said when I stopped the job, he goes, it's like you've come back from deployment. And he deployed twice. So <laughs> I think he, he
2: He would know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he would know. Yeah,
0: I saw a story, and I don't know if either of you saw it. I think I might have sent it to you, Ben. It was a very, I guess, boisterous person about I won't ever take the vaccine. You can't make me and my family take the vaccine. I don't trust, you know, this. I don't trust the CDC, blah, 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 who got COVID. And then his last text, well, one of the, if not the last text to his wife was, I wish I would have got the damn vaccine. And then he died. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a year younger than me.
1: And I think that was shared on like conservative media too, of like, it was a picture was- of him with like five kids or something. And yeah,
0: well, yeah, th- the story I saw had several family photos of him. So that was one of them. It was one of those things that, again, this is and this is all the past couple of days right around the time when I was like, I'm done. And again, it's not a lack of compassion. It's a I feel very compassionate and I want you to yeah. understand where I'm at. And obviously me being nice ain't getting it.
1: <laughs> so- I don't want to tell anyone else that they have to go to the hospital right now because they won't make the night if they don't. And they may not make the weekend, but at least if they go to the hospital and they die alone, they have a fucking chance. Because I've had that conversation so many times with so many patients and so many families, and I don't want to fucking have that again. And that is a nightmare. Uh, Telling little kids that they've got COVID when they've seen their family members die of COVID and, t- and talking to people that they've got COVID when they've just buried three of their family members, I don't want to fucking do that again. And I'm going to start crying because uh, I haven't had to do that for months. And the idea of having to do that again just breaks me. So it's not about you, people. It's about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's about I don't know that healthcare as a profession can survive it, but like mentally survive it, too. Yeah. I don't want to do that again.
2: Let's take a short break. Let's pay some bills. We'll come back on the other side of the commercials and uh, we'll talk to Christine some more.
0: Are you lacking financial direction or need a second opinion? If so, MP Advisor is a virtual financial planning practice that focuses on working with nurse practitioners, and they've developed a unique process that evaluates five key areas of your financial life. They call it the Check My Vitals Procedure, and for
2: $500, it addresses some of your biggest financial concerns, like, am I saving enough to maintain my lifestyle in retirement? Is my family protected from a catastrophe? Do my investments match my tolerance for risk?
0: Listen, if you have more questions than answers, then you're probably due for a checkup. So, click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the five benefits of checking your vitals. And if you're ready to move forward, you can even schedule your appointment directly from that link.
2: Yeah, the link? It's down in the show notes.
0: It's a great place to start. Securities
2: and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated Member FINRC SPIC. Additional advisory services offered through Premier Financial Partners, LLC, neither Royal Alliance, my NP advisor, primary financial Partners, just some podcast, or any other guest or affiliate. All right. Well, so we're back. And again, we're still talking to Christine, who used to do anecdote Stories in Medicine, but we're wanting to get her story because she had some unique experiences in relation to the pandemic and... mental health aspects of it and moving, figuring out how to move forward from there. So Christine, you kind of alluded before the break that you dealt with thousands and thousands of COVID patients.
1: Yeah. So I had a really unique position that the interviewing for started before the pandemic. And it was to be the lead nurse practitioner for a job that sent EMS providers into the home and connected them with a telemedicine clinician through an iPad that they brought with them. And so the idea was to reach people that, you know, maybe wouldn't have internet connectivity, but then also doing a bit of a physical exam and assessment in the home. And so then I was launching and leading D.C. area market, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. I started the very beginning of April, (laughs) in April 2020, which something else really started to kick off around then too.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And so they were also launching in New York, and because of all the emergency waivers, doing telemedicine, I was able to see patients in New York City, all over Louisiana, Nevada. And it was weird because it was telemedicine, but then you're being brought into the home of someone with people that you know and you see over and over again and that you're also, like, chatting with through work and, like, communicating with and you're seeing these patients. And I got to see the pandemic at its worst in multiple parts of the country simultaneously. And I, at one point I had, like, 10 clinicians under just me as well as, as like, EMS staff, I think, was probably up to, like, 60 or 80 at one point. But also this company was... <laughs> Really, it was a startup, but like they grew very fast and they really didn't plan very well for things. I'm trying to be very careful with what I say for some things. But like they said, hey, we're going to COVID test people, but we're going to do direct to consumer lab and we're just going to facilitate it. So because it's direct to consumer, like that company will just then send the results to the patient. So we don't have to worry about it. So they started COVID testing a tech illiterate population in the middle of a pandemic with zero infrastructure or planning for managing of results or patient calls about results. And so someone was like, hey, Christine, will you just like look at these results that come in? And all of a sudden it was like, oh, Christine's in charge of COVID results (laughs) and also launching this market. And I was like, um, we- That seems like a lot. (laughs) Seems like a lot. And also this direct-to-consumer lab company, like- is saying, well, we just published results to a patient portal online. If your staff registered it wrong because they're in full PPE and there's issues with testing and things need to be redone and like someone's positive, we don't give them medical advice. You have to do that. And like, cause you saw them and you know, we're a lab. So we report to the CDC, but like you're the practice. So you should be reporting to the CDC. So I ended up having to build a team of nurses to respond to test results and call positive patients across the country. It ended up being 62,000 tests. Wow. Yeah. So when I said thousands, I mean, I didn't see all of them, but every day I had eyes on all the positive tests and our positivity rate. Like I had to build dashboards and build a team and hire nurses and tell all of these executives like, hey- You know how COVID gets worse in the the seven to 10 day range? Oh, you don't because you're not a medical provider. Okay. Well, it does and people are dying. So when we get the results back in seven days, because the lab takes a really fucking long time, they're at death's door. And so we need to have a process for this. And at certain points, our test positivity rate is 20%. Overall, it was like 17%. At one point, I built a team of 10 for that and was in charge of both things. So yeah, so it's 62,000 tests over 2020, you know, there was no like, hey, a leave behind for like work notes that this company thought we shouldn't give anybody work notes and like everything had to be approved through legal. Like, but the CDC was changing guidelines and then there's new evidence. And they were like, everyone that wants a test gets a test. But I'm like, hey, we shouldn't retest people after they've been positive because they'll be positive for three months. And that we can't clear people based on that. So I learned like so much about COVID, but then it was so stressful because I was like fighting this very bureaucratic startup that was, well, we want money. And I was, yeah, but like insurance companies aren't going to reimburse you. And they're like, but the CARES Act. And I was, y'all, you have no idea how insurance companies work. They are not going to pay for this. And so then all of a sudden they were like, wow, we haven't been getting reimbursed. Okay, no more PCR tests at all. Just one day we woke up and we couldn't do any PCR tests. And they were like, everyone does antigen tests. And we're like, those are not nearly as reliable at all. And they're like, too bad. (laughs) And so it was just like, okay. So I I quit being in charge of COVID because they weren't paying me anymore. And then like after January and then February, I just gave my notice and I left my position because it was so awful. But I think in January, I was just walking. I bought a house too last year. I keep like jumping around because that's how you tell a story when you've had a traumatic experience. Your brain just tells it as it comes into your mind. It's not necessarily very linear. So I I bought this house and like was doing all these things and moving. And I remember I was painting my kitchen. I was going to use a sprayer and I put on a full Tyvek suit and it was like early January. And I just started having like this breakdown and sobbing because In the early days of the pandemic, when I was doing house calls, we were wiping down plastic gowns and I was seeing friends wearing plastic bags and bandanas. And I was like, why do I have PPE right now? I shouldn't deserve PPE. Why do I have this? It's so wasteful that I'm using this to paint. And I just started sobbing. And I was like, my husband came over with the dog. And I mean, a lab will solve everything. But like, I was like, what the fuck? And I just remember walking around my house being like, I can't do this. I can't do life anymore like like not that I was suicidal but I was just like such a fog I just was so overwhelmed at every moment it was just so much suffering from everybody and like we weren't even like we would work holidays and not get paid holiday time and like not get like I was fighting for us to get overtime for time we were working and like you know it was just like not being supported by administration on top of the hell of COVID was you know enough to to break anybody
2: Jeez, I don't know how you didn't have time to do a podcast drink
0: yeah
1: I know. Well, I mean, I did give up the podcast a little bit before that. but yeah,
0: it's funny that you pointed out the PPE because Ben and I have a mutual friend who said that one of the overlording health care watchdog groups, well, I guess they're not specifically that, but they came into the hospital and even though he was wearing an N95, they said no, you need to wear a surgical mask over that as well and they were giving them all this crap and i just wanted to go in my head hey you remember when you told my friends that a fucking sock could count because nobody had planned ahead and we were willingly putting these people's lives at risk but now you're yeah. going to come back a year and a half later and bust his fucking balls about wearing right. a surgical mask over 95 where
1: the fuck were you a year and a half ago Bam. oh telecommuting teleworking yeah. Yeah. oh really really Karen, yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, no, you know, you're, you're, you're probably right, Karen. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Would. Let's face the facts, okay? But it's it's a very true statement. And honestly, at this point, I think about pre-COVID and at bedside, and we were so worried about um, Jayco and, and all the other things. Oh, well, you got to have your drinks. You can't have them at the nurse's station. And they oh, we're here to protect you and the patients and blah, blah, blah. And then this shit, the, the, the legit shit hit the fan. And you know where they were? Fucking nowhere. And they left us out to dry. And yeah. now they want to come back after and tell us about how to do things.
1: Look at and all just... of the nursing homes that were not properly investigated beforehand for staffing. All the private equity firms that bought up long-term care facilities. Yeah. Cut staffing. Cut supplies. Yeah. And then all of the overlords of oversight just kind of looked the other way because private equity had bought them up and people died. And when I say people died, I don't just mean patients. Staff died. I mean oh, yeah. and and staff died because they were supposed to get tested, but there's no payment for getting COVID tests. The the reimbursements for testing wasn't a screening because you're a healthcare worker. Even if you had insurance which most people that are doing the the brunt of care, so CNAs, PCAs, LPNs, like they're doing all this work, the hard work. They don't always have health insurance in this country. And to get a COVID test, if even if you had health insurance, unless you had a known exposure, then you wouldn't get it approved because that was the big struggle at the end of the year. Okay, everyone has to use Z eleven point five nine. That was the initial like screening for COVID. Okay, now no insurance company will approve that. It has to be an exposure code. Okay, well it has to be a CDC defined exposure. Okay, no, now it has to be an exposure defined by oh you're in an area of high prevalence. Okay, well we can use that, but it was all of this like coding gymnastics mm-hmm. for reimbursement on top of a pandemic when like we needed more testing. You know we're being nickled and dimed. As you're putting your life on the line and there are people that even if you're doing something remotely, like you're watching, there's like so much guilt, like survivor's guilt of trying to advocate for the moral right in the midst of all of the financial inequity. And like it, that was super, super frustrating. And it's, <laughs> I could go on forever. It, it,
0: well, and Ben and I have had this conversation previously on the air, off the air. I honestly, at this point, I think being an insurance company should be a damn crime. Like, I I don't I I literally every day get a worse opinion of insurance companies. And it's because I honestly think I need to invent a better word in the English language for how low I think of these people, like disgusting and pathetic aren't enough. And I'm sure the individual workers that are working within the insurance companies. I'm sorry, Susan and accounting. I don't know what to tell you, but the entity (laughs) in which you represent or work for. Is pathetic and disgusting and if there was a worse word i would use it and they prey on taking money and not giving it back or using it to help people just like you said we are having to do gymnastics with coding to try and get reimbursement like that should be illegal <laughs> at this should point be. It should be it, it just yeah it, it bugs me and like you said So I got bigger fish to fry than worrying about if I use a Z11.95 versus E11.100. Like, I shouldn't have to worry about this.
1: I should be using my clinician brain to be reading all of the latest studies and trying to save lives uh, and not fighting with billing codes because... There are people that went to school for that. And I didn't go to school for that. And like, it's a pandemic. Like, we should just kind of pay for it and not question my clinical judgment that in a pandemic, someone needs a COVID test. And then I can go read these studies about like please stop giving people ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and you really don't need that much vitamin c but yes vitamin d is very important and let me tell you about melatonin because i really do think you should have that this is what the nih says and these are all these like i have so many studies and i've read a lot of them let's talk about those not fucking coding i'm sorry i keep saying the f word you're But fine. you know what after that pandemic it's really we not it like a comma better.
0: at this show so I,
1: I i knew you didn't mind <laughs> but it's i was reading an article not an academic one, like New York Times or something, where they were talking about healthcare workers' mental health, and this was in in the wintertime, and healthcare workers expressing moral injury as a sign of kind of beyond a stress reaction. And I think moral injury is a really great way to explain it. You know, this outrage at what you're seeing the greater community do because it conflicts with your own set of morals. And a trauma of your own moral center, you know, people not getting vaccinated, seeing claims denied for life-saving care in the midst of some, you know, one of the worst public health crises in American history. And that also prompted my change to the job that I took. So in watching the health inequities of I'm a white chick that's well off, my family didn't get COVID. You know, my patients are Predominantly people of color, predominantly people that are working low income wages, you know, gig workers, people that have no choice, no PTO, that can't take sick days, that can't afford health insurance. And they're just, you know, lambs to the slaughter for the sake of grocery store chains. <laughs> and I was so upset about it. And so that's why I left to go, you know, I encountered this primary care office that dealt with seniors from lower socioeconomic areas of where I live. And so that's – I met them through my old job. And then I was like, hey, you're hiring. Great, but part-time. I'm only going to do it part-time. Because just the health inequities are just so vast. Hmm. Yeah.
0: So you saw a wide group. Mm. And as I was telling you earlier, it's a really weird dynamic that 20 miles makes such a big difference. Yeah. And I bring that up again because I don't know what your – experience. my experience has been – that the more educated and middle, upper class and above got the vaccine. They were like, yeah, this is a no brainer. Like you have a vaccine. Give it to me. I, I want this. It was the lower educated, lower socioeconomic classes that needed the extra protection that didn't get the regular healthcare that had the comorbidities that it's been my experience. Those are the ones going, no. I don't trust it. And I'm like, what is going on? And I don't know how to get someone to believe something when it's so openly and clear at this point in time. And that's been, that's been part of my frustration.
2: Now here it's been a complete reversal of that. From what I have been able to tell a vast majority of those that have been vaccinated are lower socioeconomic status. And we're seeing more resistance in the higher economic status.
1: So yeah, it's, So there's just generally very high vaccine uptake in our area. It's mostly by age. So the younger people that are like, oh, I'm not going to be affected, they're like not getting it. And it's kind of doesn't really matter about class. And my patients who are predominantly black or African-American, I don't, I'm saying black because that's what I've been told people prefer to be called. But if someone else prefers something, I'm not trying to be offensive, they're all saying I was like first in line and decimated my community. And I think, you know, I don't really talk about politics at work, but I think the fact that like Trump was so against the vaccine, even though he got it, made my patients want to get it because they were like, screw that guy. Like he's, he's (laughs) fucked us over so much. Like, all right. If Trump says it's bad,
0: it must be good.
1: I'm going to believe Dr. Fauci. And like the scientists, because this has sucked. Like, so I think it has actually propelled some people to do it in this, like, at least in this DC area where there, it is a very, people are very well educated, even if they are, they're well read and involved, even if they're not formally educated in this area.
0: I think it's funny you said that because again, we, we tried to avoid politics on this, but I will say because this is something that I think is beyond it's beyond debate for me because I see it is those that are Republican or Trump supporters are definitely ones that tend to be like, Nope, you can't make me get it. I don't believe the CDC. I'm not going to get vaccine versus like you said, the democratic side of the house or the ones that seem to be down the middle or like, no, I'm pretty sure I'll take the vaccine if, if you have it. And there, and there is some muddling. Like, I don't want to say if you're Democrat, that means you're more educated or richer. I But I'm just saying in general, it tends to run very much politicized. Republican tends to. Yeah, it's very on the political side of it. It seems very red and blue versus, you know, black and white. It's red. is yeah. like, nope. And blue is like, hell yes. So I don't want to say it's like completely. I mean, there are multiple facets, but it does seem to run along lines. And to me, that is, again, yeah. just a failure of well, the education system in some ways. It's like, oh, my God. You know, when people wonder why you have to take biology 101, I'm like, this is why. Like, this is <laughs> this is what that was for in, you know, the eighth grade.
1: So I was talking to my husband about this. So my husband is not a medical person, but he has siblings who are very Republican. His sister is they both voted for Trump this time, his siblings and his sister is like very QAnon and like, nope, won't get a vaccine. None, of, No one in my family will. His brother is like, yeah, I voted for Trump, but he's an engineer and he got a vaccine because he's like, I want to not die and protect my family. And like, okay. That's very engineerish of really, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, all right. Yeah. It seems safe and stuff, but his sister just won't get it. And I was like like, I just don't understand. She's like, well, I don't, I don't trust them. And he's always like, you know, your sister-in-law is a nurse practitioner and this is her gig. This is what she does. And I was talking to him about this and I was like, this is why we need a better science education. And I was like, it's so weird that like people think they can armchair quarterback this, like this whole pandemic, like you don't, armchair quarterback the moon landing like you're not hey jpl like you really should have put on more afterburner there like i can't even make that up because like you can't armchair quarterback it this isn't base no offense to professional baseball players but like you can't this is epidemiology and immunology like i went to a shit ton of school for this and like you can't just You can't just armchair quarterback this. Like when I tell you. You can't just throw
0: it up and hope it lands. Like,
1: no, that's not how this works. Exactly. Like, there's a, when I give you my opinion, it's not my opinion. It is my analysis of multiple studies coming from multiple different areas. And I say, this is what study A says with the caveat that it had this end, it was in this population. And so to counteract those caveats, I present you with this study in a very, layperson form because I know that I'm not going to try and overwhelm you with all of the science jargon because I do that to my husband all the time and he's just like I wanted a yes or no answer I did not (laughs) want a thesis but I do this all the time but I usually give him like three studies that I've read and it's still like a 20 minute answer instead of yes or no but still I say I have to give you a science answer I can't give you yes or no because it's always well in this situation yes However, if you fall into this, then it's this. We don't operate in like this absolute, but you have to have a background to know that.
2: What I think people need to realize is this virus, this pandemic, doesn't give a shit if you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't give a shit if you're white, black, Mexican, or whatever. All it cares about is infecting people and continuing
0: to infect people. That's its sole goal. And getting better at infecting people.
2: Yeah. It doesn't give a shit. It really, really doesn't.
1: Right. And you know what? I don't give a shit if you're Republican or if you're a Democrat or if you're secretly a neo-Nazi or (laughs) white or black or purple or whatever if you're sick with COVID. I don't care. I mean, personally, when I'm not at work, I'm would be really upset if you're a neo-nazi but like i however you're colored but if you're sick and you're dying from covid it breaks my heart and i care with every fiber of my being that i'm telling you that you need this intervention because i can see the virus progressing through you i can see the viral stage i can see that it's going to get worse at night i can see that your oxygen level is dropping when you walk and that you're not going to be able to make good decisions because your brain doesn't have enough oxygen. And that in three days, you may feel a little bit better, but you're going to get so much worse. You're going to buy a ventilator because your BMI is elevated. And I know these risk factors by seeing you on day one. And I know that you're probably not going to make it even at day 25. And your family's gonna catch it, and your kids are gonna bury both of you and your wife. And I'm, and I just see this all playing out, and I don't care who the fuck you voted for. And you know what? I'd like for you to vote for whoever you want the next time around, too. I don't want this to devastate your family because I've seen it devastate so many families. That's not a joke. When I'm at work, this is what it's about.
0: And the moral crisis or the moral burnout. I, I, I will be honest. I mean, I saw a lot of patients. I've dealt more with the aftermath than I did the pre. You know, I, I wasn't always in the thick of things. It's more of I'm taking care of the patients that survived. And we're seeing a lot of those lingering long COVID. And I will give my healthcare system a lot of props on. They did everything they could because we were a family office to try and insulate us from it. Like they were like, hey, we need to keep you as safe. However, my friends. My family, my wife, they are not. And watching my wife come home with bruises on her face. From wearing a respirator. It just became very hard. Knowing what she was seeing and listening to her talk. Because she was in the room with them while they were dying or holding their hand. And having to wear all that for 12 hours and then come home knowing she was going back to do it again and again and again and again. And it didn't matter where she was. She was going to be doing that. And my friends in the ERs and my friends in ICUs. And then and I know Ben went through this for a short period of time where, like, I was isolating myself from my own family because some patient lied about their symptoms. And then they're like, oh, by the way. The entire office has now been exposed to COVID because this jackass decided that they needed to come in to talk about their hypertension medication in person instead of over a phone. And so now I might die or give it to my kid or give it to my wife who might have survived all of that shit in the hospital in person just for me to have given it to her because somebody did that. So while I didn't see certainly didn't see 62,000 cases, it was in my face every day all the time. And even though I felt insulated and in a way safe, it was very hard to be around everybody I knew that wasn't and hear their stories and listen to what they talked about and try and be there for them. And like you said, it's not a joke. And people were like, "Well, it's only the sick people." And when you're talking to someone, they're like, "No, we just coded a 20 year old female that had no comorbidities." That was the scariest thing to me. Is there we could say, or, or and like you've done a good job, like, "Hey, there's certain things I can see that is going to tell me where this may go," but at the same time, you could be a 30 year old marathon runner. Guess what? No one can get away from this at all times. Like,
1: right? I mean, one of those things I can see is that you're male. <laughs> so, yeah. The thing that also bothers me is like, oh, it's just the elderly. All right.
0: Even if it was, so what? What?
1: Yeah. Like uh, okay, Um, we just get to sacrifice all the grandmas. Like, like, how is that acceptable? Excuse you, like, Adam
2: Sandler would say respect to the grandma. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like. All of our grandparents that survived World War II and Korea and Vietnam and all these other horrible things. And some of my patients that survived the 1919 flu are like, you just want to like toss them up to this. And they're like, oh, hell no. I'm saying like, they're the ones that are the most locked down. Like, you're not going to get me. I know how this goes. But I remember early on when I was seeing patients in New York and I think I got so desensitized to it. Um, but This, so New York really hit me the hardest. And I remember I saw this lady and I just, her sats were in the 70s. And I looked at her and she didn't speak English. So I was seeing her through a screen and her daughter was on a phone translating and we had our EMS providers there. And the people don't realize that COVID starts with usually GI symptoms like usually diarrhea and everyone's like, oh, do you have a fever, but like less than 40% of COVID patients have a fever. And if they do, it's later on and mostly at night. And so like screening for fevers is like kind of silly. But anyways, that's a different rant. But the vomiting and the diarrhea and the fluid loss was so significant along with the desaturation. I looked at her and I was like, you've lost weight. And I've never met this woman before. And then you could just tell someone has lost fluid and weight in several days and never seen them and been like holy shit this virus is so bad the retractions and this woman was just wasting away and and i remember having to beg this family to to take her and they're like but she could get covid and i was like she has covid and like but she could die alone and i was like she she'll die here or she may die in the hospital but she won't be alone. There's going to be nurses with her and those nurses won't let her alone. But if she's here, she'll definitely die and she'll probably die tonight. And at the time, I also remember thinking, we were having discussions about, with other like clinicians, who do we send to the ER? Because in New York, if your SAT wasn't below 90, you weren't gonna stay. So it was like the wild west. <laughs> we were doing whatever we could to keep people like okay, I was having people prone at home, and actually it helped them, because if your SAS were above ninety, like the hospital would just turn you away, and that's it. And okay, if you're in the eighties, then you can go and maybe you'll get admitted. But there was just no room. People were just, you know, dying in the hallways. And so, um, and then not to mention that primary care offices in April and and specialist office they just closed. A lot of things just closed or they – So all these people who didn't have COVID were just lost to care. There were so many times like I refilled psych meds for patients I had never seen because they're like, I can't reach my psychiatrist. And I have schizophrenia. And I was like, yeah, nobody wants to like hallucinate in the middle of a pandemic. Let's get you back on that circle. Like here's 30 days and I'll see you back in 30 days because I don't know what your psychiatrist ran off to. It was just like this really weird – Vacuum. Time where – I went from, like, a call like that to, like, begging someone to go to the ER and getting their pastor on the phone to help us convince them in Louisiana to then this girl got shot in Baltimore and, like, there was no aftercare. Like, she went to the ER, but then they're like, okay, great. You're here for 10 minutes. We can't do surgery. Get out. And so she's like, yeah, this is through and through to my leg, but it's really infected. And so we're like, I think Bactrim will cover this. Um, All right. Great. But that was a morning and I'm rambling, but... These things were just so stark because the healthcare – like, that is a collapse of a healthcare system, I think.
0: Well, it is. But that was your experience. That's why we wanted you on the show is
1: this happened.
0: And people – that and this is the frustrating thing to me is people don't hear this all the time. You know, they hear – it, regardless of what news station you like, they hears a few things on social media or nowadays people are like, I like this app. You know, they read these things. Stories like this aren't getting out. And that's why it's right. so important for people to hear. This is what happened.
1: The ripple effect of COVID is it is so much greater than just the deaths of COVID or just the long COVID and the thrombus after covid all the mis and strokes and dvts that we're seeing after covid because six months after covid man if you've got a sore calf your your ass is getting a doppler because that is such a so common and but there was also all these conversations i was having with people that were terrified of going to the er to get covid before the vaccine i had a guy that got i was like oh shit this was in louisiana like I think he got bit by a spider and I was trying to f- I'm from the North. We don't have scary spiders. Like, <laughs> not really. Like we got ticks. Those little guys will mess you up, but we don't have scary spiders. And so I was like, is that just like, cellul- like a nasty abscess or is that like a spider bite? And I was like, I really think you need to go to the ER. And the guy's like, I'm not going to go. My dad and my brother just died of COVID. I don't want to get it. I was out on a fishing boat and so I didn't have contact with them and they died. And I was like, all right, uh, 10 days of backdrum, backdrum for the win. Uh, Let's, and uh, let's see you tomorrow. And, And it was getting better. And then he's like, yeah. And I also have to go back out on a fishing boat because I have to make money for my family. And it was like, okay, well you could lose your leg He's like, well, I'll take that chance versus trying to get, versus getting COVID. And it was like, hmm. that's a decision somebody made in America. Yeah. it What? And that's a conversation I had in America. This isn't the 1800s. Like, we're, oh, we're going to just take the leg and give you some cocaine. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. That's why I was like, it, it was like battlefield medicine. Hmm. The. People don't see all of these things that happen because the healthcare system was so focused on COVID. And I don't want that to happen again.
2: You talked earlier about your breaking point in your type X suit while painting or getting ready to paint. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked about just that feeling of, I, I can't do this anymore.
1: Yeah. How did yeah. you
2: get from that point to where you are now?
1: Yeah, I think that is a very good question. And I think resiliency is a really important conversation. I thought a lot about leaving medicine. And I think if I had an easy way to do it, um, I would have. But I'm not good at anything else. (laughs) I thought about doing a lot of other things. We bought a house and so we had to have some trees cut down. And I was like having this great conversation with the arborist, because my first degree was in biology. And I was like, I should be an arborist. And I was like, I don't have enough degree for that. I have to go back to school, but I've got a lot of student loans and they don't really make as much money as an NP does. You I right. say,
0: what's the uh, going rate for an arborist?
1: <laughs> I don't know. But it's not it's not the same as working as an NP. But so I thankfully went back to a job that I had been working before doing house calls. And my boss is just, I mean, I've known him for five years since I moved down here. And he's just so wonderfully supportive and supportive of mental health. And he was like, I'm just going to pay you to be on call and not really do anything for a month. And I was like, you don't have to do that. And he's like, just chill. And I was like no, I'm fine. And I wasn't, but he saw that in me and let me chill. I did phone consults for travelers to Thailand or something. And it was like the easiest thing in the world. And I gardened and, you know, there's this Walden quote about, you know, Americans love to go back to nature. I think it's Walden or it throws Walden, you know, in a crisis. And I just started fucking digging holes in my yard. (laughs) I, I, and planting trees. And I built these crazy planters with timbers. And then I started this other job doing primary care again, which you think primary care would be the worst thing you want to do. But this was, you know, a startup and it was very different and and smaller without that administration of knuckleheads. And, you know, I started to have the follow-up with patients and it was only part-time. And I said, I didn't want to, you know, I, I know myself, I dive into things and I get... I get too into it and then I'm overwhelmed and I'm like, you know, I, I, I get too into things and that's a problem. And I started to have some wins and I felt like I was making a difference. And I had a patient who like their old PCP wanted to just put them on hospice and they couldn't walk. They couldn't, they weren't really talking and they were super confused and she's elderly And it was like, it turned out she had like severe pernicious anemia with a UTI and like really long toenails, cerumen impaction. It was like, okay, so we just got to like treat this UTI, give her some B12 and clean out her ears and cut her toenails. Okay, granted, she needed two transfusions for that anemia. (laughs) But now that she's on, like, I mean, this woman was bedbound and couldn't move. And now I see her and she's like a little bit confused, but she's actually, we just had to put her in a boot because she fell going to the bathroom because she was like up walking around and like, Hey, what's up with her family? And like, you know, like she's totally different. And I like started crying when I saw her. Cause I was like, Oh my God, you look so good. And the, the family was crying and hugging me and like, but I've had multiple episodes of like this and you get those moments in primary care where like, yeah. if you just pay attention and you just see someone and you're like, why has no one looked into this? This is really easy. And especially after the pandemic, like I think you get a lot of those because there's been such a neglect of care that it's like, oh, a patient I had a few weeks ago was he had Down syndrome and he's older and being cared for by his sisters. And like, yeah, he's been agitated. See, so the other PCP just gave him a lot of hydroxyzine and he was really tired. And I went there and his heart rate was 30. And I was like, oh, oh that's not good. And he didn't have a radial. And then... <laughs> we woke him up a little bit and he had, then he got like a very faint radio. Well, he was in a complete block with just some junctional escapes. And then he got a pacemaker and he's totally fine. He just needed a pacemaker. But like no one went out and listened to his heart. I don't know how long he was like that, but like they were just so happy. All right, like follow up and, and realizing that you can make a difference. Those are the case. Like there's plenty of cases that are like, really tough and like administrative and like signing home health orders. Like, and I hate it. My inbox is always full and I'm always behind on charts. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But really like two and a half days a week and then I catch up on charts. But then I have those moments. Like, I'm not looking at people going, you're going to die. I'm going, hey, I walk into a room and even my patients with dementia recognize me and smile. And I get to chat with people and it's the connection again. And meanwhile, I've taken up carpentry and furniture making in my basement so like you know like it's it's a balance and I think it's mostly the good cases and getting the follow-up and the connection that I didn't have at the other job and with COVID um
0: my favorite part is 15 years from now she's gonna be like son of a Bitch, why did I put a birch tree right here? Like she's just (laughs) gonna have, she's gonna have some real, real buyer's regret on all these trees.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I planted four trees. Let's talk about these trees. And so my husband's like, "Well, we had six trees, and now you, we had to cut down some because they were like dead and like gonna run, like fall to power lines." He goes, "Well, we had six trees, we cut down two, and you you planted four, so now we can only have seven trees." And I was like. What is wrong with you? Why are you obsessing about the number of trees? It's not about the number, it's about the type of tree, the layout. We have a quarter acre. You don't, it's not like you can only have seven trees per quarter acre. Like, <laughs> that's not how trees work. I do, I do not understand. Like, he's a computer guy. So maybe it's a very like.
0: Yeah. He's like, there's only so many zeros and ones I could put in I know. this little area. So
1: I know. he's, and he's like, well, we can't put a tree there because we already have seven. And I was like, I don't st- I don't understand how to argue with this conversation because it just doesn't make sense. And I feel like that's almost like the vaccine conversation. It's like, what, what language are you talking about? The answer to not getting vaccinated isn't, well, we already have seven trees. Like that's <laughs> I do not understand.
2: Sure. It is. That's 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 yeah. an answer.
0: everybody knows. It's six trees max per quarter acre. That's, that's yeah. a that's a that's a hard and fast rule, Christine. All right.
2: I believe yeah. Biden signed that executive order. That said that <laughs> yes. <was> only-
0: New <laughs> homeownership
1: is a bitch, yes. man. You gotta yeah. <laughs> learn all these oh, things.
0: Yeah. Yes. There, <laughs> there is that when you own a house, there is that day, and it doesn't matter when. It can be in the beginning. It can be five years into it. When you're something happens, and you're like, why? Why did I think? Owning this was a great idea. <laughs> like, oh well, what? we just
1: we had to get what our we had to get about? our roof placed, and oh, so that happened oh, today. God. Insurance is going to cover it, thankfully. But also, buying a home is when you realize who is the type A person with all the spreadsheets, and who doesn't use a shared calendar. <laughs> like, can you guess which one I am? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all about the spreadsheets, and he's like, nah, nah. Which is strange for someone that has a quota of trees. You would think well, you'd want that you not need a, You don't need
2: a spreadsheet for seven. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, what's I can't the, put it on my fingers.
0: I mean, you don't need. Yeah, yeah. What's the <laughs> end for seven? Yeah. Like, I don't think that we have to really do a lot for
2: that. <laughs> well, Christine, let, let's wrap up on a good note. I mean, this has been kind of a heavy conversation and.
1: Yeah, but that's—I mean—that's
2: what we were. We knew was going to happen, so we want to have some fun. And you know, last time you were on back in 2018, apparently, Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't do this segment, but we do with all of our guests now. And so it's a segment called Five Questions. Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five, 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 five questions. So what this is, is we ask the exact same five questions to all of our guests, just to kind of know a little bit more about the inner psyche of you. And <laughs> okay, we don't want you to put a lot of thought into it. It's fun. And basically what happens is I ask the questions, Tom makes fun of your answers. So bring it.
0: <laughs> it works well.
2: <laughs> question one, Christine, what's your favorite medical word?
1: Oh, hippocampus. It sounds like a hippopotamus.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, is that where we're going? Is that the angle? It just it sounds, sounds like hippopotamus.
1: hippopotamus. Yeah. It's just, it's fun to say.
0: It is fun to say. Have you seen a hippopotamus up close?
1: They're terrifying.
0: Yeah. They so are. is dysfunction
1: of your hippocampus. <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Um, and also, and I, I don't know how this happened. I actually saw a video of hippopotamus is hippopotami i don't know what where, where, whatever think, that is yeah. okay apparently they like to spin their tail like a propeller when they poop Well, yeah you got to fling shit so, yes yeah, somebody edited an entire youtube video of like every time somebody says something to him he just shows up this video of a hippopotamus <laughs> pooping and flicking it everywhere and now that you said hippocampus every time someone's hippocampus i'm gonna see that video in my head so thank you christine you're welcome some neurologist going to be talking like, ah, you're stupid. So that's what I'm just going to start laughing. It's going to be a great day. So, <laughs>
2: Question two. And you may already kind of answer this one, but we'll see what you say. If you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, what would it be?
1: It's not arborist.
2: Oh, let's see. I'm, what? <laughs> Doesn't pay enough. Yeah.
1: I would be, I have two two answers. One, I would be a fighter pilot or a veterinarian. That
2: is a, wow. an odd.
0: Okay. Factor. Yeah, we got to do a, a dissection here. So I understand the veterinarian. You've shown your propensity to go towards hippopotamus. Or <laughs> hippopotami. Love. Okay. I love so, animals. Yes. No, I love things with teeth the size of Pepsi cans, so they can crush my skull. No, that's great. But yeah, let's go back yeah. to this. Fighter pilot. Yeah. What makes you want to be a fighter pilot?
1: Uh, death from
0: above. Yeah. you know what? That's a win. All right. If I've heard a win and this podcast, <laughs> it, it five questions. It's gonna be death from above. Now I just see Christine getting in an F sixteen, like call F-35, signs. F-35, please. You want to be in a thirty five? I can just hear it now. You know, some, I don't. Some tech piece talking to her. She's like, "Yeah, mm-hmm. this is steel rain." coming down That's like theory. oh lord
1: yeah here we go. blonde fury
2: king wong just playing <laughs> in the background it's great you know <laughs> yes.
1: Flight of the oh, yes
2: i thought it was just for the glasses but apparently not okay well
1: actually you know i couldn't because I, my vision is so poor
0: no no it's anything so if that was your dream job you're
1: right yeah is- no it'd be really cool
0: <laughs> okay last thing before ben ask the next question navy or air force because I said Air Force, but maybe you have a little bit of the uh, Gold Wing in you. So which one is it? No,
1: absolutely Air Force. Okay, I don't like water.
0: <laughs> so okay, that That's would why that I was would make it Army. difficult. I
1: don't no. Well, our Army Army has planes.
0: Yeah, but not a lot of F 35s
1: No, but okay. If I had to enlist again, totally Air Force because like they get all the sweet defects and barracks and shit, and like they do. Our sucked.
0: This is legit, Christine. I I knew a CB. And when I talked to him about being a CB, his answer was, quote, I don't like ships or water. And I was like, you realize you are in the Navy. But (laughs) that was a whole long conversation and a lot of scotch. But I'm just saying they're out there. There, There's a couple of them.
1: When I was in medic school, our defect was, I think I showed this on the last time we were on, but it was five years ago. So four years ago. So I think no one will remember. But, like, our DFAT got shut down for rats and cockroaches, so we got to briefly eat in the Air Force one. (laughs) So it was great. And those, like, those Air Force chicks had makeup on and, like, earrings. And I was like, they have jobs where you can do that. (laughs) I am so sweaty and covered in dirt and, like, blood, like, from training. And, like, really sweaty. And just – I smell so bad. Like, there's nothing – Oh, I, I messed up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> live and learn. Live and learn. Question three. Christine, think back to your first car. Was it a stylish ride or a ride you'd want to hide?
1: Uh, stylish.
2: What was it?
0: Okay, what was it?
1: It was a blue Mini Cooper. Wait, so first car I bought myself or first car I was like... No, my first car. Had... Per- first period. car. Oh. It was a Chevy Suburban.
0: Holy cow. For our first car? It's like a tank
1: I would just like Yeah Borrow it from my parents It was a tank
0: So was it, that's the first car You would consider yourself Yeah
1: Yeah I mean I only like Borrowed it randomly Like in high school When they would like Let me leave the the dungeon the, When I bought myself a car In college I bought a Mini Cooper And my mother was like You're just doing this To be different And I was like Yeah Yeah <laughs> Why you buy a Mini Cooper?
0: I don't know a lot about Mini Cooper. So did it like have all the bells and whistles on the inside or did you get yourself a plain old Mini Cooper?
1: It was just like the basic one because I was a poor college student. And it was a standard, and I didn't know how to drive a standard when I bought it, but it was cheaper. That's smart
0: selection choice, yeah. Well, so my
1: boyfriend and ex-husband, ex-husband-to-be, drove it off the lot for me, and then I had to learn to drive it. And then I had to actually go to a 16-hour shift on the ambulance the next day, so I learned how to drive a standard real quick.
2: So did you name this car?
1: Yep, Winston.
0: (laughs) Is it because it's British? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah, see. Had I, the I, I, accent and everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm just like... I love
1: ah. that car. I love it. It was just so much fun.
0: Question four.
2: If your house is on fire, everyone, including your pets, are all safe. Other than pictures, what's the one thing you want to get out of your house?
1: Um,
0: You're thinking too much.
1: I mean, because like I guess it's something practical. Like, my... Purse and social security card, or I could just say my laptop, like my computer. Okay,
0: but so, so which one? They're both burning. They're burning, Christine. You got (laughs) to pick one. My purse. Okay. You know what? That's a practical answer. Coming from a girl who just bought a damn Mini Cooper that she couldn't even drive, I wasn't expecting that much (laughs) practicality out of you. I got to be honest.
1: I've grown up since then. Yeah, Tom.
0: Yeah, okay, fair enough. You learned your lesson. Don't buy standards when I can't drive one. Well, yeah, no, no that's so a great idea. There,
1: there is a practicality of emergency, and then there's a practicality of, well, I've got time to figure this out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Both are valid answers, Christine, but I needed something like the house was on fire. You had to get out. I like it because yeah. you'd be surprised. Yeah. We had so many people say the unpractical. To me, it's unpractical. I, I mean, I get sure. an emotional tie, but so many people said pictures. Ben and I actually had to ban that as an answer because so many people. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. Yeah. No. Yeah. People were like, I will burn myself to get a photo album. I'm like,
1: why? Fuck no.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: That's why you should back your shit up to the cloud. That's why it exists. Even my purse. It's all replaceable. Right. My pets and my husband, my phone, like, like, so, I can call for a fire, call for 911. But even still, I'm just going to run to my neighbor. Be like, Jarvis, what's up? My house is on fire. Please help. <laughs> like it, everything other than my pets and my husband.
2: And that's why we ask the questions. We want to see
0: what people say. Yeah.
1: So- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that fire crew
0: was like, we would have got here sooner, but there was a seventh tree in our way. So, we couldn't quite <laughs> get to the house. Uh, You didn't follow the
1: rules. Those cherry blossoms. (laughs) Those five-foot cherry blossoms.
0: That's what did it.
2: Uh, Question five. You have $9.18 in your pocket. You're at the convenience store or the gas station. What all do you buy?
1: Gosh, well...
2: Now, we've got some interesting answers on this. So uh, This is is always a good one.
1: There's been inflation, so I, I really don't know prices so i'm gonna say probably some peanut MMs and a red bull
0: okay sugar-free or, or leaded
1: leaded because i am off of <laughs> this is a very ironic thing to say when you're buying a red bull but i've stopped using artificial sweeteners because i'm really bad for me so i want the full-blown taurine okay so i don't know does that get me to nine dollars i guess it depends on the size of the red bull not the uh, let's say you're like five bucks like that the, yeah so some peanut
0: m ms oh too much thought yeah too much know. thought
1: I'm, I'm not a big like i'm I'm probably uh, probably a Larabar. bar a what a lara bar i, I love don't those know what that is
0: what is that
1: they're like these little like fruit nut meal bars with protein and fiber basically i live on them when i do house calls
0: okay lara bars yeah because i, I don't... don't i are they like the kind bars
1: they're kind of like a kind bar, but they're okay. Yeah, they they just taste better to me.
0: But,
2: but they're probably okay. better.
0: Yeah. So with Red Bulls, Christine, here here's mm-hmm. a key question I have for Red Bulls. Besides leaded or unleaded, is flavor? Are you a sipper? Are you no? Oh. Are you a sipper or a chugger?
1: In between. I won't chug, but it will take me probably about fifteen minutes.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's not she doesn't want to you know induce the palpitation all at once
0: yeah
1: right no but i can't chug it but it's got to stay cool
0: i don't drink a lot of energy drinks anymore but if you see me buying one when i pop that lid it's like a grenade i got three to five seconds to get this thing done and i chug that son of a bitch and i move on with my day and then after that i'm very excited for three to four hours (laughs)
1: So I had a Red Bull this evening because I did not sleep last night and was up at six, and was then just like crashing at four, and so my husband got me a Red Bull and I was like, "Oh, I'm, I guess." Well, I'll we have appreciate
0: one. it, sir. Thank you yeah. very much.
1: Yeah, so that's why I'm wide awake. Well, it works. <laughs> it's almost like I should yeah. do things at night. I know they do work. Uh, drugs, they're effective.
2: <laughs> well, that uh, concludes five questions. Tom, it was a a heavy hitting
0: episode. It was, but like you said, first of all, it was a great conversation. Second of all, we love Christine on the show, and
2: why it took us three years to get her back on. I mean, yeah, Tom clearly. Well, we love Christine. The last
0: the the last episode, we talked about six trees, so she didn't forgive us, and so (laughs) it took us a while to get to get over that that shock of hippopotami poop and six trees in our yard. And we just had to deal with all that. But I, it was one of those things like...
1: You really extended a branch, though, so I was able to come back. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I knew it was going to be a good conversation. But I, again, it's one of those... We've had a couple of these now where it's information that people need to hear. They may not want to hear or it may not be something that they're like, oh, I want to hear some people talk about some really depressing shit. But yeah, it's interesting and it's something that they need to hear. And I think honestly, at the end of the day, that's what will make it compelling is this isn't something you sit around thinking, I want to hear a podcast that will make me tear up on my way to driving to work. (laughs) Probably not normally what people are thinking, but you got it, (laughs) but you got it. And honestly, like I said, I I think the timing uh, for, for lack of better terms, I think the timing is excellent because guess what? Delta is is here, so this is a yet another time to have that conversation and say, "Hey, you know what? If you have an uncle that's been fighting you on the vaccine, or you know, if you're a healthcare worker that you don't know what to talk to your patients about, or you haven't thought about it in some way, here you go. Here's the thoughts of three people that have been dealing with it, and
2: and we're never one to shy away from." putting stuff in your face. I mean, we had Shannon on when she talked, you know, and and for people who may, maybe they're new to the show, there are several episodes where we have talked about this. We had Shannon on who was a nurse in uh, New York. ICU, she went to New York city. Yeah. Ground zero basically of COVID. Um, so we got her experiences. And then I think it was either the week after that, or a couple weeks after that, we had a Neil on who actually talked to us from the patient perspective of being a COVID patient and a long term hauler. So if you're new to the show, and you want to hear more about people's experiences with this pandemic, then check out those other episodes too.
1: You know, I think I should end on this because I said, I described just even a small smattering of really, really horrific things. But even in the midst of those cases, there were moments of absolute humanity and connection with total strangers. And, That's not an experience I necessarily had before. People expressing the loss of their family members and recognizing, you know, their recognition even in me that my empathy towards them was real in, you know, in a sense that we were all in this together and that seeing that there were other people helping out, having a pastor on the phone saying the congregation will look out for this patient's mother, while they went to the hospital. There was so much community and there still is. There are so many good things that I've come out of COVID. I, if you can't tell, I'm not really like a big touchy feely hugger person. Like I swear a lot. I mean, I don't at work, but like when I started my new job, so many patients were just like, Hey, I'm vaccinated. I kind of need a hug and all right, let's hug it out. It was just like the happy tears of a hug. You know, I said this before, like I'm a white chicken. What do I have in common with a lot of these patients who grew up really rough, rougher lives and you know, that typically we would think of being so different from my background and things that maybe the media would say that are, are different political groups or something. But you know, in these moments we've had some really way more open conversations about race and our roles and and understanding insecurities and that we're all in this together. So I think I think overall humanity has won even though the pandemic is not over and that we have to continue to look out for the best of people because we are really caring for each other and i think that has really shown um when we look past the the trauma and the tragedy
2: wow well, um that's on, the end i was like yeah on <laughs> that <laughs> note, like, like that perfect i want I kinda of wanna like in with like you know, the Jerry Springer, like he always always ended his shows, which was like, you know, take care of yourselves and each other. But I'm not going to. But and that's <laughs> um, the final word. Yeah. See? Yeah. <laughs> but on that note, that note, wash your hands, wear your mask, get your vaccine. Have a great week.
0: Hey everybody, stay safe out there.
2: the time. Lately I see why I am alone. I caught some road rage and I thought of you. And all the many times you say I should have known.
0: Took a press so I could find my